I believe I've got a word for you today. Amen. You guys ready for the word of God? Turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And we are in a series on families. I felt back before the end of 22 to at some point this year preach and teach on families. Last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, to just give you a little Reader's Digest version. My question centered around this thought, what kind of patriarch do you want to be? And the thought centered around the fact that we have, and as I talk about families, it'd be easy to kind of tune me out and say, oh, pastor, I never desired to have a family, don't have one. Um, I'm, you may be young and think, ah, it's not for me. There will be something God will speak to you in every single one of these messages. No matter what stage of life that you're in, you may have older kids and, you know, the grandkids may live far off and you think, well, this doesn't really apply to me. It does absolutely apply to us because as we talked last week, the decisions that we make have far greater impact than just us and our immediate families. Our decisions can either set up even future generations spiritually and practically set up future generations for God's blessings to flow down. We looked and and talked about last week how you can kind of look into family lineage and line and you may have heard around the Thanksgiving table or at times gathering with your family, oh, I remember great-grandfather so-and-so. Boy, he just really had a really bad temper and everybody kind of laughs about it and, and kind of moves on with the conversation. But if you're spiritually in tune, you begin to kind of pick up on, well, if, if my great-great-grandfather struggled with alcohol and his son struggled with alcohol and his daughter, his daughter struggled with alcohol and then their kids struggled with alcohol, you begin to pick up that there may be something running through generations that we can identify spiritually because I came to tell you this morning, God wants you to be free. He wants you and your family to walk in the freedom by which he set us free. And that freedom is life in the Holy Spirit, the blessings of God coming on our life. Shared a couple of stories that may not have made my point completely clear. But anything that we can, anything that we can accomplish in just our generation misses the mark. Because if your dream comes from God, and everybody in here should have a dream for their family, a vision for their family, and it cannot be accomplished in just one generation. Sometimes it takes two and three generations to accomplish what God is doing in a family. God is a tri-generational God. So this week we're going to talk about this subject. Is your family centered on Jesus? That's my title today. Is your family centered on Jesus? Next week, as it gets close to Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about marriage. And it's not going to be your usual sermon. We're going to talk about God's plan for marriage, God's design for marriage. Because if it's something he came up with, then he's going to give us wisdom and how to have a good marriage. Amen? So I want to encourage you next week. We'll be jumping into that. But I got a question for you when it relates to families, and it's this. What kind of family culture are you creating in your home? And again, don't tune me out. I want you to listen to this because this may be something that you could teach to your kids who have kids and they can relay this to their grandkids. So don't tune me out today. But we as families especially, and anybody that has teenagers or or toddlers or young kids, how many would identify and say, life is busier than ever before? (laughs) Amen. Anybody find yourself like you're literally in the rat race? It seems like everything is fast and everything's moving. Listen, what that leads to in our families is something called overload. Everybody say overload. God never intended for you to be overloaded. 
God does not want us to miss the most important things in life. The most important things in life, church, are God, relationships, your family, and church. And when we begin to get so busy that our relationships suffer or our church relationships suffer or our family relationships suffer or, heaven forbid, that our relationship with the Almighty begins to suffer, we're going down the wrong track and we can begin to lose some of our orbit around the most important things. I'm going to talk about that today because overload can overwhelm us. So we have limits and sometimes we surpass those limits and we go past where God is limiting us and we pay a price for it. We pay a price in our own physical health. We pay a price in our family health. We pay a price in our life because how many understand you do have physical limits? Amen. You cannot operate on four hours of sleep a night. No, we have physical limits. We have performance limits. You can't perform at a 10 all the time. We have emotional limits. Amen. We have mental limits. Listen, when you run out of ideas and your creativity for if you have a business or you have something else going on in your life, sometimes when we run out of creativity, then we kind of look at that and we say, God, I just, I just, I need you to renew my creativity in my life. It's crossing those lines that leads to overload. Why is that? When we cross the lines continually, we're going to pay a price, again, in our family relationships. And really, truly, when you look at this and you begin to understand what God's Word teaches, is our culture will press in on us as parents and families because they say that if you are busy on Monday night and busy with something on Tuesday night and you're at church on Wednesday night and somebody asks you to do something on Thursday night, for you to say no, in our culture presently, that's seen as weakness. Amen? It's seen as a a weakness. Well, you know, because, hey, we live in a culture where you're supposed to be at a 10 all the time. You're never supposed to get tired. You're never, never supposed to get weary and those type of things. And really what it is is activity overload. Listen, this generation, and again, this is, this is, today is about getting Jesus at the center of our families because I promise you, if you will put Jesus at the very center of your life and in your marriage and then your family, you will have everything else begin to work itself out. That is the promise of God's word. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. So as we talk about this subject today, there's so many things that we are overloaded on. We're on activity overload. Listen, your kids are being programmed that they should have something going on all the time. They should have something going on all the time. Then we have, we have change overload in our culture. I mean, I went to buy something the other day. It was this was a while back. I went to buy something and I didn't have a chip in my debit card. I'm like, oh, you need a chip now. I didn't know you needed a chip now. I mean, There's so much change that we see going on around us, and it seems like it goes and it goes and it goes. We have choice overload. Come on, somebody. Have you you gone to the store to try to buy uh, cough medicine lately? There's 62 different types of cold medicines out there. And don't get me started on the Oreo aisle, (laughs) y'all. When I was a kid, it it was Oreos. They were chocolate cookies with white stuff in the middle. And now there's 36 different kinds of Oreos. Do you realize that when most everybody in here, including myself, were growing up, there were approximately eleven to 12,000 items in any common grocery store? Yeah. You know how many there are now? 36,000. Yeah. So we're overloaded. We're, we're 
we have so much overload and things pressing in on us. I want to talk today about how we can disengage from that, get back to what the Word of God says about how to raise healthy families, how to raise a healthy household and to have these things in the right place. We don't just have choice overload. We have communication overload. Amen? Amen. Don't need to say much about this one. But you are more accessible. My point in laying all these things out are these are little foxes that spoil the vine of having a good relationship with your wife and your kids and your grandkids and even other relationships with friends and family. Because even at times when we get into communication overload, it's like how many get maybe 12 or 13 texts in a row? You get one text and you haven't answered in three or four minutes and you get a question mark, right? It's like, I got 32 other texts in just a few minutes ago, so please be patient with me. So there's communication overload. Somebody sent me a screenshot here a while back and I noticed that their email box had like 1,282. That would terrify me, y'all. Some of you pick up your phone right now. You haven't answered about 64 texts. Shame on you this morning. Shame on you. Our culture has debt overload. Come on, somebody. The average American credit card debt is $6,000. We have fatigue overload. You know, 54% of people admit when they come back from vacation, they're more tired than when they went on vacation. Come on, some of you young families have been to Disney. Come on. It's like, man, I walked, I walked 90% more than I ever have in my life around Disney World and sweated the whole time. That was not a vacation, y'all. Information overload. Listen to this. In one issue of the New York Times, there's more information than an average 17th century British citizen learned their entire life. Wow. In one New York Times, more information. Wow. But listen, it's information overload. Yes. Today I want to talk about keeping the main thing the main thing and what the simplicity of life in God relates to and shows us. That as we focus on relationships with one another, we focus on relationships with our spouse, we focus on our relationships with our kids, you will live a fruitful, blessed life. Amen? Amen. Look at Psalm 127 and let's read this together. This is the New American Standard Version. But it says, Behold, children are a gift. Everybody say gift. Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the reward of the womb is a reward. Father, for these next few minutes and moments, not only for everybody present in this room, but also our kids upstairs learning the word of God, our youth in the back learning the word of God and how to relate better to their parents. And Father, I pray they would learn how to relate to you as their heavenly father, that you would show your love not only to them, but everybody in this room and and who are listening online by way of live stream. Father, we pray that your spirit, which is already present here today, would anoint the words that I preach and teach today, that, Lord God, you would help us come back to a place where you are the very center of our lives, the center of our families, even the center of this church. May we continually be reminded that, Lord God, when we put you on the throne of our, of our family, the throne of our heart, the throne of our communities, the throne of our nation, that things will go well for us, God. It's that simple. So today, whatever said of Jason Hanks, let it fall by the wayside. But whatever said under the unction and anointing of the Holy Spirit, let it go into the hearts of the people. Let it strengthen our families today with the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So that led me to a question. 
if Psalm 127 says children are a gift from the Lord, then how do we, how many would say if somebody, either you receive a gift or you give a gift, you want the person to enjoy it, right? Pretty simple thought, but it's true that if children are a gift from the Lord, then you are not just meant to endure your children, you are meant to enjoy your children. Now, we've all been in the line at Walmart, and we, me included, have had my little kids in Walmart because Leah sent me to the grocery store, and 90% of the time, I can't find anything in the grocery store. I learned that I went into a different Publix the other day, and I thought, this Publix is not laid out like the one I live by. And if I would have had kids with me, it would have been all the more stressful. So we see people all the time that endure their children, and we've all been there. But I want to talk to you and get you to the place today that you can begin to enjoy your children. And you grandparents in here, listen to me. You guys enjoy those grandbabies because you can give them back at the end of the night. I'm not, I know what's up with that. There's a lot of truth there. God wants you to enjoy your kids, not endure your kids. He wants us to enjoy enjoy our kids and not endure them. So how do we instill in our kids the principles of God's word? How do we raise young men and women of God that when they're older, they will not depart from that word. When they're older, they will have a source in their life that they can always tap into. Because I'll just say from my perspective and me raising kids... I have always wanted to teach my kids. I think there's one or two routes you can go in raising kids. One or two routes. And and sometimes we miss the mark because we think, okay, God, you want me to enjoy my kids. And you want me to raise godly children, uh, arrows in the hands of a warrior, the psalm says, that we can launch them out into the world. And what we're doing is raising kids that hopefully can make an impact for the kingdom of God. And what we can invariably begin to do is say, okay, God, I see some issues in my kid and the issues stem from the heart. And that is what the Bible teaches us in Proverbs is that guard your heart. For out of your heart flow the issues of life. So what we begin to do invariably is is we forget this very important principle. And if you're taking notes and you have kids to raise, here it is. The truth of it is you have to start with the heart because everything that you are dealing with downstream started upstream in their heart. Are you listening to me today? We want to go and deal with the behavior or the fruit of what we see when really what we're desiring to do is asking the Holy Spirit to give them a life and heart change that will produce the fruit of repentance and produce the fruit of righteousness in their lives. So when we say this, I need to bring heart transformation to my kids. I I identify something in them that is against the word of God. I'm a parent. I'm trying to raise these kids in a godly way. And listen, I know there's a lot of different stories in this room. You may be a single parent raising kids. You may, you know, be a widower or or, or whatever situation that you're in. I want you to know that God is for you, that he is going to help you. He is going to give you his word. And we say this, we, we say, okay, my heart, my kid needs heart transformation. And we begin to, what we often do is this, we begin to micromanage and control every area of their life. Are you listening to me? And we miss one of the most important aspects of spirit filled child raising. 
We want kids that are going to serve God. We want kids that are going to have that source in their life. We want kids that are pointed towards the Lord. So oftentimes what we do is we identify behavior. And and hear me very, very clearly. We are to discipline our kids. We are to control our kids in a lot of ways. But one of the mistakes I made as, as a parent is I began to jump in and try to micromanage and control every single detail of their lives. And it was a mistake. Because the Holy Spirit began to teach me that, Jason, you aren't there to control. You are there to teach them self-control. Because self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Everything I'm saying will help everybody in this room today. That self-control is a fruit of a relationship with the risen Christ by the Holy Spirit living in our lives and our hearts. So I don't have to try to teach them all the things that they should and shouldn't do, what I need to begin to teach them is how to have a life-giving relationship with the Spirit of God. I've learned that when I teach my kids that there is a source beyond themselves that can keep them from getting hooked up on drugs and alcohol, that can keep them going on the right path, can keep them from being a, a, a teenager that gets pregnant out of wedlock, and all the things, listen to me, that culture begins to press in on our kids to do, they're going to need something more than mom and dad just said, I shouldn't do it. They have to have a source called the Spirit of God living down on the inside of their life, and that is what we can begin to model to them. Lee and I were having this conversation probably a year, year and a half ago, walking through just difficulty in my own family. Walking through trying to raise kids and the culture and the temptations and the social media and all the different things. And naturally, we begin to think, well, if I just take all these things away from them, that's going to affect life change in their heart and in their life. Can I tell you, it's amazing how kids can get around anything you try to put on them. They're experts. They're experts. And, and Lee and I were having a conversation one night, and we looked at each other, and it wasn't even in relation to our own kids. It was in relation to a family member back home. And uh, I won't say which state, because it could be my family, it could be Lee. I don't want to, I forget sometimes that I'm being recorded. <laughs> so I began to, we began to say, and, and this were the, these were the words that came out of Leah's mouth. She said, They just don't know their source. So we can try to control or we can model that mom and dad have self-control and tell them the only reason that mom and dad have self-control is because we have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. We, we, we have a relationship with Him. Every single parent in this room this morning, you are homeschooling your kids. You are. You're homeschooling your kids because you are showing them of a simple thing that as a parent, you are either resisting the Lord or you are submitting to the Lord in any area of your life. So you are the one that's homeschooling this morning. And I'm not talking about homeschooling, whether your kids are in public school or private or homeschool, whatever. It's not the topic of this conversation. My point is, is that our kids are watching us. And when they see us have a life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit, guess what? They're going to want the same thing. Nobody could resist Jesus in the relationship that He offers when you really see it. Amen? Spiritually speaking, in my opinion, we are raising our kids today in modern-day Babylon. You may not believe that. You may uh, Babylon is in the Old Testament. 
Babylon is in the New Testament. The Babylon in the, in the Old Testament was led by a dude named uh, Nebuchadnezzar. What a name. Anybody name their kid Nebuchadnezzar? Nobody? Anybody? Huh? I want to name my kid Shadrach. That's just a cool name to me. It is. Shadrach. Thank God we didn't have a third kid. Leah would have never let me name our son Shadrach, even though I think that's a great name. Because you had King Nebuchadnezzar came on the scene. And we understand in the, in the full 10,000 foot view of this story of when King Nebuchadnezzar came and literally he was the king of, of Assyria. Babylon was the great city. And Babylon is painted in the Old Testament and mentioned in the New as a type of world system, right? And what they would do when they came into an area and they conquered, which they conquered Israel, they conquered Jerusalem. When they conquered Jerusalem and they conquered Israel, King Nebuchadnezzar, every area that he came into, he had one main goal in mind, was to destroy the city and destroy the temple because what he was saying is, my God is bigger than your God. And I'm going to prove that my God is bigger than your God because I'm going to wipe out your connection to your God. And what he would do when he came into an area is they took captives. And by taking captives, what they were looking for were the best and the brightest and the smartest young men and women so that they could bring them back to Babylon. And and interestingly enough, they had five different areas that they were looking for the best and brightest in. And what they did is they removed them from their faith and they put them in a system that was going to begin to teach them that, well, your God said this is unclean. Well, I want to tell you, we say it's clean. Your God says that don't touch this and don't get in that relationship. Don't have sex out of marriage. Well, we want to tell you that that's okay to do here in Babylon. And we're going to begin to educate the brightest and the best in our culture and our customs because we want you to begin to turn your back on everything you've been taught about God and faith and the God's Word. And we want you to assist assimilate into our culture. That is going on right before our very eyes with our families. That's why I say we're living in a time where culture is trying to pull our kids away from a very simple faith in the Word of God. But can I tell you what God's doing? When you look at the story, it amazes me. I had this thought this morning as I was just up early this morning and praying. It amazes me because... You know, they're taken into captivity because of their disobedience to God's word. It's very clear in the Bible. And when they go into Babylon, you would think that, well, we'll just stay outside of Babylon and we'll pitch our tents and we'll continue to worship God how we want to worship God and keep ourselves separate from culture. The Bible says, when you're raising a family, the Bible says very clearly, we are in the world, but we aren't of the world. So there's supposed to be something different about your family. And interestingly enough, God didn't say, yeah, keep two miles distance from the city of Babylon. That's going to keep you safe. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to put you in the highest places, in those places of influence, those places of culture molders, those places that influence the culture of Babylon. Because the genius of what you see God doing was it looked like captivity, but God was actually taking his people and putting them in the places that it was going to change culture. And he had people like this, Daniel. Everybody say Daniel. Daniel. God, raise up some young Daniels in this church. Because Daniel was the best. He was the brightest. He was one of the smartest. But Daniel said this. Daniel said, I still choose to serve the God of my youth. Not because somebody's making me do it, 
be because it's in my heart to do it. So I'm going to be a person of excellence. And yes, you can train me. You can educate me. But I'm going to take a stand on what God says, not what you're telling me. Those are the kind of young people we need to be raising up today. And, and interestingly enough, it was we, we hear about the Daniel fast this time of year. Daniel fast was that Daniel wasn't going to partake of certain delicacies and certain foods, right? Interestingly enough, what you see in their culture is a lot of people were getting sick eating the things that the king presented because they were offered to idols. There's a spiritual analogy there. And feeding it to the people, and it was making them physically sick, which is a spiritual illustration. Not Daniel. Daniel stayed faithful to his God, even when he was threatened that we will put you in a lion's den and let lions tear you apart. Or think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of my favorite people in the Bible. These are all living during the same time. They were young Jewish people that were raised up to know who God was. And when the temptation in the pool to when ten thousands of people were bowing down to the false idol, they had some T-rail in their back that just said, I'm going to stand up and not bow my knee to culture. And, And parents in this room, you need to be teaching your kids that the truth is the truth and God is God and you let Him be God and let His truth reign in your heart. You don't have to bow down to this culture all around us. In church, you may think, yes, I need to go back and control my kids more. No, you need to be the type of believer that's filled with the Spirit of God and praying and reading your Word and let the presence of God be present in your home. That way they have a choice to submit to God's Word and ask for help to live in a world that is darker and darker and darker and darker. God wants us to raise up some Daniels. God wants us to raise up some Shadrachs, some Meshachs and Abednegoes. That's what he's calling us to do because this world system has, everybody say pool. Pool. There is a world system out there that has a pool. But what King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know and what Babylonian princes didn't know is that somebody had deposited something in Daniel that hell itself didn't know what to deal with. Amen? Amen? Don't know who it was that deposited it. Don't know where it was that it was deposited, but there was something deposited in those young people. And I want to tell you, that's our goal at Christian Center Church is make sure that they have a deposit of the Spirit of God on the inside, whether they're learning it upstairs or learning it in the back of not just how to navigate this culture, but how to thrive in this culture. Amen? Amen. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys mind if I get a little drink of water? Sure. Some of y'all thirsty? You know what I'm thirsty for? More of Jesus. God's moving in this church. Don't let it go by. Jump in. He is. He is. Do you realize the most important disciple you will ever make are your children? Those are the most important disciples that you will ever make are your children. If you're taking notes, write this down. Making a disciple comes down to helping people get centered. Everybody say centered. You figure out where your center is by defining the gravitational pulls in your life. So explain that to me, Pastor. In our solar system, you have planets, right? Saturn, Neptune, Venus, Mars, the Earth. 
you have these, these planets, and they are all moving and spinning at thousands of miles an hour all around one place. And what one place is that? The sun. And the reason that they're spinning around the sun is because the sun is the center and the sun has a gravitational pull that keeps everything pointed and pulled in towards the center of the gravitational pull. And that is the sun itself. And what God wants for you and your family, that no matter how fast life gets, no matter how hectic that everything goes, no matter what hell tries to throw at you in, in influencing your kids, when you have a center that the gravitational pull isn't the sun that we see out there today, hopefully it was cloudy when I came in, it's the sun, Jesus Christ. And when he is at the center, and he's at the center of your family, he's at the center of your life as a parent individually, then you aren't trying to control your kids. You're showing them that the gravitational pull of God is stronger than culture, but he has to be at the center. Because when he's at the center, when things come at you, they don't throw you for a loop because you have a center. Jesus will hold everything in place when he is at the center of our families. You still stay on course as a family. You still keep focused as a family on God and His Word and raising your kids up in the right way when Jesus is the center. So if you have gravitational pull to define how your family is being pulled in one direction or another, the best question that you could ask yourself as parents is where am I getting pulled Two, is it something that's in culture that we look at as benign and easy and simple and just not a big deal? Because I want to tell you, in the days and times we're living in, everything is a big deal when it comes to raising kids. Are you listening to me today? And here's what the gravitational pull, according to the Word of God, is in our life. You say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I hear that we can live such busy lives that we kind of spin out of control sometimes and Jesus just isn't the center anymore. He's not really the main thing in our family. He's not really the one that we center ourselves around and making sure that they're in the house of God, making sure that they're discipled, making sure that you're reinforcing everything that's taught here at home even more so because our children, the Bible says, shall be like fruitful vines around the table. So we're the ones as parents that are doing 98% of the discipling. This right here is just reinforcing what you're already teaching. Amen. If you're counting on the church to disciple your kids, it's not going to happen. This is to reinforce what God is doing. Conviction. Everybody say conviction. Is God's gravitational pull. And he designed your conscience to keep you in the right orbit. Think of it like this. Conviction is God's gravitational pull. And conviction is not something you hear a lot about today, amen? Conviction isn't something that you hear a lot about because we live in a culture that doesn't want to be convicted over their sinful lifestyles. Are you, are you tracking with me? But conviction, according to the Bible, is something that pulls us towards God and towards His Word and towards His truth and keeps us centered in the middle. John chapter 16, verse number 7 says this, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. When He comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to these three areas right here. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
So what Jesus is saying here is, hey, it's better that I go away because I can only minister to you few in a physical way. The Spirit of God is coming and He will be your teacher. He will be your counselor. He will be the one that convicts you. And we've lost the understanding of conviction in our society and conviction in a believer's life because we've allowed our hearts to get so hard we no longer feel the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives and that is a dangerous place to to be. The reason I say that conviction is the gravitational force that pulls us into the center that our lives should be centered around Jesus, our kids' lives should be centered around Jesus, is because it is God's conviction that leads us to repentance. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. His convicting power comes and we begin to understand what sin, righteousness, and judgment to come actually is. What we learn through the Word of God is God actually wants to speak to you through your conscience. Everybody say conscience. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 2 tells us that there is something dangerous that can begin to happen in our conscience that is dangerous for a believer. And I think it's where a lot of the church probably is. And I've been there at times. So I'm not saying anything to you today that I haven't experienced myself. And I've come to places in my life where I'm like, Lord, I should feel more guilty about that and more convicted about that than what I do. And what I began to evaluate in my life. And see, like I talked last week, this does flow down into your family. It absolutely does. God respects the head of homes. God respects the marriage covenant. God respects. But he's looking at us as parents and he's saying, okay, if, if your conscience gets here, what are the results going to be for your family? Because if there's not the gravitational pull of conviction and conscience, you will fly off the rails in your family. You absolutely, and I'm not talking about spiritual warfare. Trust me, the devil's out to get our kids and you need to stand up and just rebuke him in Jesus' name. But what I began to notice, and exactly what the Bible's talking about here, it says that our consciences... And what were they doing in Babylon? In Babylon, they were conditioning these young people that they kidnapped from Israel that were the best and the brightest. And what were they beginning to do? They were beginning to sear their conscience and saying, well, I know that you learned this about God, but let me tell you about my God. There's a lot of gods being lifted up in our culture today. And we need to teach our kids how to stand against the lies of the enemy. And that takes developing in them. And if the Jesus is going to be the center, there are going to be a lot of temptations to veer off course. And it's really their conscience. I, I know this shocks everybody here, especially if you've been here for a few years. I love to eat. I love it. I especially love Mexican food, heaven. I love Mexican food. One of my favorites. Anybody else? I know I'm making you all hungry. It's 11.10. We're going to be out of here pretty soon. And... They bring out, especially Mexican food for some reason, they bring out those big plates, especially if you eat there at Crystal River. Those things are like the size of the table. I love every bit of it. Like, give me another one, y'all. But it always amazed me because what do they do? They're walking out with it and they're saying, and you're, you reach up to grab it, hot plate, hot plate, hot plate. And I'm just of the type that if you're holding it without any gloves on, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. And I began to realize something about the person that had walked out of the kitchen with a hot plate in their bare hands. They had been conditioned not to feel 
the hotness of the plate they were carrying. It's the same reason I could watch my grandma all the way back reach into an oven that was 300 to 350 degrees and pull a pan of biscuits out because granny had been doing that for 40 years. In church, culture is trying to condition our children that there is no such thing as the truth of God's Word and trying to convince them that there's not the pool. Listen, if you lose the pool of God's conviction, because in, when they put them in, in Babylon, they were saying, okay, let's, let's reinforce and continue to sear what you know to be the truth. And after a while, you're so lost and you're so confused. There's confusion being sown into our kids and our generation. Again, because even as parents, we have let our simple convictions go. What happens when you lose your convictions in your conscience? Your conscience, according to the Word of God, is a place where the Holy Spirit is drawing you to truth. And when you ignore it, and you ignore it, and you ignore it, and you ignore it, then you are beginning to get what the Bible says is a seared conscience. This is the same thing that's talked about in the book of Romans. Right about verse 23 to 26, right in there, Paul isn't even done with the, he's not even done with the introduction to Romans and and introducing and greeting and all the things in Romans, the gospel according to Paul. He's not even 25, 26 verses into it when he begins to say exactly what I'm saying to you today is that when God's word and his conviction aren't at the very center of your life, then God will let you go out of orbit And when you get out of orbit as Jesus as the center of your life and your family, there's a lot of darkness out there. Amen? You can spin off and end up in a place of darkness. And here's the scary part. We don't even realize it. We don't even stop and recognize. Man, why, why, why are we? If Jesus desires to be the center, again, because you may leave here today and say, good word, Pastor. I'm going to go home and control my kids even more. I'm going to micromanage every single spot in their lives. You're missing my entire point. You make Jesus the center. You have a conscience that simply says to your kids, other people may do that, but that's not who we are. Because like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. How long will you falter between two opinions? If, if, if God's the Lord, then serve Him. If He's not, then don't. But as for me and my house, we are going, we're going to allow the conviction, we're going to allow the Word of God to take preeminence in our homes because God wants to raise up some Shadrachs, some Meshachs, and Abednegoes. I'm fixing to talk about some sacred cows in this room right now. They're going to offend some of you. Sacred cow makes the best hamburger. I've experienced right here in in this church. Got rid of the pews. They're sacred. No, they're not. They're wood and they're... Come on. How can we evaluate in our families... Listen, I'm talking to myself this morning. I am. How can we evaluate... If Jesus is the center, if he's the one that we orbit and and order our lives around, or if Jesus is just a peripheral person 
that we fit into our lives. I want to tell you something as families this morning. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. Jesus doesn't want to be one of the planets orbiting your family's agenda. Come on. How can you know if you are ordering your life as Jesus is the center? Because what we do as parents, and this is perfectly natural, this is Everything I'm about to say, you're going to say, well, is he saying those things are negative or bad? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. My kids play sports. My daughter loves cheerleading. We take her to cheerleading. We drive her there. We do all the things for cheerleading. But listen, if cheerleading becomes the most important thing in our life, they're going to lose their connection to Jesus. If we say to our kids, listen, you're, you're going to say, well, he's knocking education. I'm not, absolutely not knocking education. But if we raise our kids that education in the next degree is the most important things in life, or sports are the most important thing in life, or money is the most important thing in life, then we are raising a generation that are centered around the wrong things. And at some point, they are going to lose orbit of God, His Word, and faith. And we're losing an entire generation because I don't think this generation wants to be told, you're fine the way that you are, keep living that way. They want to be told there's a God in heaven that has a word in heaven that has truth in this ancient word that will lead your life, guide your life, and it will give you something to lay your life down for. We're looking at a generation that the enemy has tried to steal, kill, and destroy and wipe them off the map. God must have a special plan for this group of misfits, but they don't get to come into the kingdom on their terms. They come into the kingdom on God's terms. And they, they, I believe they'll be the ones that really do put God at the very center of their lives because we live in the most prosperous nation in the United States of America. The parallels to the, the, to the Roman empire are scary. And what we desire to do, I desire to do, and what I'm teaching you today, is that as parents, we not micromanage and control. Let them, my job as a parent is to let them, let them experience enough of the consequences of something in a setting where I can control the consequences myself. Do you hear me? Because I, like I teach my kids, especially my 17-year-old son, is, hey, when you make this mistake and you're 25... The price goes up, Bubba. When you get angry on the job and you feel like you want to quit, you've got a baby and at home and food to put on the table and rent to pay. Guess what? The price just went up. So I'm going to let you experience enough life where I'm going to teach you how to navigate these things with God at the center. But how you can evaluate in your family whether Jesus is at the center is simply ask yourself the question, what do we orbit our life around? Do we orbit our life around our kids getting educated and getting that next degree? Do we orbit our life around our kids being successful and being money? You know, Chaser, do we, do we order our life around sports? Listen, the, re, the way you can answer that is simply say, if, if your family is ordered around sports then everything you pump into your kids is about being a winner and, and being stronger and being faster and doing it better. There's nothing wrong with that if Jesus is the one that's at the center. There's nothing wrong with teaching our kids of how to handle money and being good with finances and being savers and doing the things that they need to do to be successful in life. But some of us take it to the greed to where we teach them that that's all there is to life. That is not all there is to life. 
There's life in the kingdom. If, if it's any of those areas that you're putting at the very core of your family, listen to me, it is not going to end well for your family. Amen? Amen. Jesus at the center. How do we find the center of our families? We all, if you have a family, you have the same desire I do this morning. You want to lead your family well. You want to, really, if you ask yourself one question, at least I do. I ask myself one question. What is my budget centered around? What did Jesus say? Listen, money is not, the, money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So when you look at your budget, you evaluate it and you say, what is my priority? Because, again, everybody in here is homeschooling your kids. They know what's most important. Is it God and his kingdom? Is it furthering the gospel? You ask yourself those simple questions. You can ask yourself a question about your schedule. Come on. Like, what thing on your schedule is that one thing that doesn't get cut off or left off? I'm looking at a group of people, almost all of you, the one thing that doesn't get cut off or left off, including myself, and we've always raised our kids this way, we don't cut off church, honey. This isn't some religious sermon. It's saying that the cultural pull is strong, and we are trying to present to you as a parent and to our kids as as our young families. We're trying to present that you can center your life around Jesus, and here's what we teach them. Here's what I teach my kids. I teach my kids, listen... That is the best life to live. That is the most blessed, wonderful. And I do it in very practical ways with my kids. If, if, if I tell them, and they're looking at my, what I do, not what I say. That was the shocking thing about having kids that got smart all of a sudden. They're like 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. They're like, wait a second, Dad. You told me I couldn't watch that. Why are you watching? You know, it's like, yeah, go on, go on. So our kids are watching, so I take very everyday practical things that happen in my life that are an answer to prayer and, and showing them that, hey, we've made God a priority in our family. Let me show you what he does for those who put him first. I've shared this story before, and this was a couple years ago. And I made this specifically a request to God, and then I got my family together, as we do often every night, Got them together, and I just pray over them. I pray blessings over them. It doesn't have to be, you know, prophesy the heavens down. You just, God bless my kids. God, I hug them, and I love them. I tuck Leah in, and we all lock the house up, and we go on to bed, and we're just loving on them. But this one particular instance, I was believing God for finances that the family needed for something. And I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, okay, when you pray tonight, make sure the kids know that you have asked me and me alone to provide this. Uh, man, that's bold, Lord. What, what if it doesn't happen? Oh, ye of little faith. Don't look at me like you guys are like, well, brother, bless God. I just declare the word of the Lord and I see it. Okay, good for you. I sometimes have to beg him a little bit. Like, oh, please, please. So I stepped out of the boat. Right? I'd rather be, I've told you this, I've heard this in a sermon. I'd rather be a, a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. Amen. So I stepped on out of the boat, and, and I'm like, God, it was four or five days later. I'd go to the mailbox, and this was completely and totally, I don't say random, I say it was God. Yes. The coincidences in your life are not coincidences. There are not. It's God speaking to you. It's God showing you. So I told the kids, guys, we need to believe God for this. It's a need in the family. But 
God's going to come through. You know how wonderful. So what am I doing as a parent? I'm connecting them to the source and the orbit that I have chosen to orbit my life around and showing them that when you make Him first, God provides. So you don't have to go work hard, be on time, be a great employee, be a person of integrity, be a person of character. Do the things that you know to do in a way that honors God, and God will take care of everything else. When you put Him first, so I, I, I sat Him down and I said, Hey, God came through, and guess what? When you serve Him, He will come through for you too. So what happens in the families that make sports or money or their budget or education or whatever it is the main priority when it's all about that is we tend to lose our center. We get off center. And let's just say it's education. Now we ask God to orbit around it. Here's what we do. God, the most important thing for my kids is education. So God, I am putting education at the center of our family and God... Can you orbit around that? God, I, I, I really believe little Johnny's going to be the next Johnny Bench. Am I in the... Come on, y'all. Johnny Bench. The great red machine. I raised in Ohio. I had to use Johnny Bench. Pete Rose. Okay, Pete Rose. He's going to be the next Pete Rose. He's going to be the next great baseball player. So, God, I'm going to do everything in my power to make him the best baseball player. Can you orbit yourself around that? The problem is that anything besides God that we put in the center of our orbit, it's going to fly off the rails eventually. I mean, my goodness, we start in our kids, four years old, playing t-ball. And by the time they're 13, they're so sick of t-ball that it's no fun anymore. I guess I could just simply say, let God be God in your kids' lives. And let him show the uniqueness of which he made them and the gifts and callings that they... As a parent, it's recognizing those gifts and callings. It's recognizing what God's doing in their life and reinforcing it, saying, if you honor God with your ability in sports, then he's honored and he's going to bless you with it. If you honor God in your education, not so that you can just have a couple of different letters by your name, but you want to honor God and open doors for the gospel of everywhere that you go. Maybe I know education on the mission field is incredibly important because you can get into countries with a doctorate by your name that you could have never gotten before. So that's the, you hear me? That is the reason you're doing it. God blesses it. If the reason you're doing it is selfish, God doesn't bless selfishness. He blesses his will. He blesses us as we raise our family. Listen, sports will never have a big enough gravitational pull to hold God in place. Education will never have a big enough gravitational pull to hold God in place. Money will never have a big enough gravitational pull to hold God in place. So here's my question for you as families today. Where is Jesus in your life and in your family? I can tell you where he wants to be. He wants to be at the very center. Alexis, if you'd come this morning. I want you to give me your undivided attention for these last few minutes because I began to think of, and I've said this not here in preaching, but I've said it to myself, I've said it to my family, in relation to helping my kids as they've grown up to understand what this family is all about. This family is about... My family is about loving each other, respecting each other, working hard, having integrity and all the things. But at the end of the day, we look at them and say, 
Your mom and dad have just simply done one thing throughout our lives, and that's say yes to Jesus. And I've explained to my kids, and you can explain to your kids by way of saying, and listen, the amazing thing is they're learning the same thing that your teens are that we're learning right here, and I didn't plan it that way. I didn't. Our teacher came to me this morning, Leah, and and our teacher back there today, they came and they they said, we, we don't understand why they use this scripture. I don't understand what they're talking about. And as soon as I saw it, it's, it's in the book of Acts. And when Peter gets out of jail, he went to Mark's house because they were having a prayer meeting at Mark's house. And I looked at her and I said, what they're saying is that Peter knew where to find the center of God's activity because Mark's house and Mark's mom had been having prayer meetings at the house since before Peter was ever in jail. I said it's in the same way that with our kids, our doors are always open, which is a scary thing. Because I've had kids ride up on bicycles, come into my house, grab a bag of chips, and leave. And I looked at Lee and I said, who that? Oh, well, I told them all as I've ministered around the neighborhood. They can just come in and get I'm like, they just walked in my house. This was my chips. Dibs my little Debbie's. Lee, care about these kids. When God brought the people of Israel out of Exodus and he said, I want you to set up my temple, he said, put it right in the center. And what he told him to do was take each tribe and I want you to center yourself towards me. I want to be the center of your life. I want to be the center of your family. Revelation chapter 1 verse 13 says there's candlesticks and those represent the church. And when we see Jesus, he's at the center of those candlesticks. When John is carried to heaven and he sees heaven and he sees a great throne, it says there's 24 elders surrounding the throne. And who's at the center? Jesus is at the center. You want Stand with me this morning. You want me to tell you the best sinner story you could ever find in the Bible? is a place called Golgotha. There were three crosses. Who was at the center? Jesus. He had a, a criminal on the left and a criminal on the right. Of course, one decided that Jesus wasn't anybody he wanted to honor and worship as God. The other man had a revelation that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies back and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Where was Jesus? Jesus was at the center. I think Joshua said it best. They're getting ready to inherit the promised land. They're getting ready to inherit the land flowing with milk and honey. The grapes, the the beauty, the vineyards that they didn't plant. All the things that they were getting ready to partake of and enjoy... And I want to tell you something this, this, just like I started with, God wants you to enjoy your family. God wants you to enjoy your relationships. He wants you to enjoy this beautiful life and this beautiful world. We live in one of the most beautiful places in the country, y'all. If they'd move the barrels, we could see it. It'd be beautiful. Y'all, Jason, you were doing so good, so good. 
I'm going to, I'm, I, hey, I got a couple more months before 50. That stuff's going to stop. The little comments. <laughs> Joshua said when they were going, the reason I say God wants you to enjoy it, he wants you to enjoy it, but he doesn't want you to put it above him. Because Joshua said, you're getting ready to enter into this land. God has provided this. God has provided your blessings. God has provided your job. God has provided the money that you enjoy. And by the way, it's all His. You just, you just, you can say, God, how much of it do you want back? Quit with the 10% thing. God, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? If you start with that, then you're putting God at the center. The offering boxes are in the back. He's saying, you're getting ready to go into this land flowing with milk and honey. And he said this, choose this day what you're going to make the priority in your life. Is it the vineyards? Is it the land? Is it... They took such, for such granted of what God provided for them that God finally had to come in and just remove them from it. Don't be that person that God's got to remove things from your life to remind you that He wants to be first because when that gravitational pull of conviction and that gravitational pull of, hey, other people do it, but we can't, that's something you should be telling your family regularly. Well, they taught me at school that this is okay. What does God's Word say about it? Because you're centering yourself on God's truth and we can raise up a generation that can finally stand against hell unleashed against our culture. You can't look at the news or anything else and say, this culture has gone off the rails. But I believe God can raise up some Daniels, some Shadrachs, and some Abednegoes that literally say, we can stand as God is our center. Not, Not trying to micromanage and control your kids. I think that's the wrong direction to go. Certainly there's things that we control and things that we know this isn't, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I've watched people just so, Mike, let your kids experience a little bit of life while they're still in the home so that you can help walk them through that. I've watched people not do that. And you're going to have to deal with those situations, but I'd rather deal with them at 12 than 21. I'd rather teach them these things now. And it's like Elijah came and he said, he said, how long will you falter between? Choose this day. I want every head bowed and every eye closed because I am going to put myself right there where you are at as I've been convicted, (laughs) as I've studied this the last few days of just God. That's an area where I've just not, not put you at the center. I've not put you at the center. And that, that Lord may be why I'm experiencing the I'm experiencing the difficulties and I'm experiencing the, the, the fire in this area. You might just be reminding me that I may have gotten just out of orbit in this area. And that's my question that I want you to answer. And only you can answer it as a parent. Is just to step back and make a commitment today. Maybe your first time here. If it is, welcome. You may have been here for years and your pastor just being as led as I can by the Holy Spirit right now in this moment and in this series that we're doing on families to say, what kind of patriarch do you want to be? What do you want to pass down from generation to generation? Because what you're doing and what the decisions you're making, they matter for the future generations. They matter. You may not see everything completed in this generation. You're going to pass it down to the next and they're going to run with it further than what you could. That's our desire here at Christian Center is is passed down to this next generation something that's flourishing and growing if the Lord tarries and and blessing its community like it has for almost a hundred years. 
We want the next generation to run further and to go experience God more. But that's my question, and only you can answer it. Is Jesus the center of your life? And is he at the center of your family? And the way you can evaluate that is just to look at your life and say, does this take more preeminence than God and his kingdom and operating in a way that honors him first, putting him first? Simply that. So if you've evaluated in an area where you say, I... I'm not putting him first. Can we just take a moment and repent of that? Father, I include myself in this prayer right now as we come to you understanding, God, the truth of your word, that you desire to be everything or nothing at all. You are an all-in God. You are a jealous God because you love us so much and have the best in the blessings for our families and our marriages and our kids and our kids' kids, that all it takes is just putting you first, putting you on the throne of our hearts individually and the throne of our families corporately, the throne of this church, God. So today, I evaluate that, and and Lord, notice several areas where you're not. So God, by an act of my will and an act of repenting and turning the other way, changing my mind today, that that's just an area where I could put you at the center. God, I pray you be the center of our families at Christian Center Church. You be the center of our children's lives. That, God, they would come to a, a place of revelation of the source of life, the source of love, the source of acceptance, the source of power, the source of truth. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. So Jesus, be seated upon the throne of our hearts and on the throne of this church and the throne of our families. And God, I pray that the gravitational pull of your glory and power and love and mercy and kindness and goodness would pull us and center us on what's most important in the days we're living in. And God, that is raising up young men and women of God that know truth, and then have the boldness of the Holy Ghost on the inside, and they will not bow to culture. But, Father, I pray you would raise up some Daniels, some Shadrachs, some Meshachs, and Abednego that say that may be what they do, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We make that commitment today in our finances, God, in our, in our time, in our budgets, in the things that we involve ourselves in, God, I pray rest over this congregation and these parents, Lord, that they would, they would have a supernatural rest and peace come on their homes, God. That they would see clearly areas where the enemy is infiltrated. Father, I pray today that if our consciences have been seared, God, I pray for repentance and a heart that is receptive to your truth. May the gentlest nudge of the Holy Spirit, may the gentlest leading of that Holy Spirit, Father, lead and guide us into all truth today, God. Father, today I bless the people of God. I bless Christian Center Church. Father, may they be blessed going in and may they be blessed going out. May they be blessed in their homes and may they be blessed at work. Father, I pray today that your face would turn towards them, that God, you would smile at them, shine upon them and give them peace and give them rest. I pray protection over this body and I plead the blood of Jesus over each person, family, relative, 
each member of this body. Father, we plead your precious blood that you would watch over and protect us and put angels around about us, a hedge of protection as we travel and go and do, that, God, you would watch over us. And for everything that we've prayed today and we believe today that it's yes and amen in Jesus, we say today in Jesus Christ's name, amen and amen. Guys, I want to mention one more thing. In all seriousness, we're still a little little bit to the sign and raising the money. If you haven't heard me mention that, our sign went down. And so we just asked the congregation, if you would like to, and this isn't, this isn't pressure, it's just pray and allow God to lead you. If you'd like to, to give in to that, just write that on your check or your envelope and uh, put it in the box in the back. Amen? Amen? Hey, prayer meeting tomorrow night at 630 if you're able to make it. Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed, 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 blessed. Amen?